Welcome to the Vital Doc Talk podcast. And today we have Dr. Mike Risen. Um, he's he's a phenomenal doctor. He's been co-authoring books with Dr. Oz. Um, he's been on national television. Um, he's been running his own his own practice for many years now. He's I, in fact, I grew up on his U book series. My mom actually. Um, bought all of them, and uh, you know, I I read Thank you. quite a few. Yeah, so you know, welcome to the show, Dr. Mike. Um, how how are you doing? How have you been? I've been very well, thank you. It's a uh, it's a interesting and changing time, but other than the stress from that, um, what can I say? I've been trying to influence uh, the politicians in as um, subtle ways I can to. Uh, on the uh, what we expect from the coronavirus and how what that means from the econ economic standpoint. Yeah, I, I frankly I do not know at all, and I don't know if you have any idea of what is uh, you know what's going what's coming down the line or what's going to transpire. Um, but you said you were trying to influence the politicians. Right. And... So we expect it. We expect. The virus is going away now, it, if you will. We said sometime between mid-March and April, if it followed the other coronaviruses, seven of the eight other common coronaviruses, it would go away or get much less infective. It doesn't go totally away, but gets much less infective, which means that people under 50 can be totally released, um, meaning they have very low risk of disease, especially if they're uh, taking a uh, baby aspirin morning and night with a bunch of water um, and don't do extreme sports. So they, the point is that clotting is the main factor when they get uh, the rigors that increases that process. But the hospitals can be able to handle that load. Under 65, if you're not morbidly obese, don't have a BMI greater than 39.9. Uh, looks like you have a very low risk. And then from 65 to 80, it's the comorbidities. And then above 80, they got to socially distance and be able to protect themselves. Now, we should get a, um, we have about an 80% chance of getting a successful treatment out of the 70 treatments in, um, if you will, randomized controlled trials by pharma and others now. Mm -hmm. um, if we fail in that, it'll come back in September 15th, to October 15th. We'll have to be prepared for that. We'll end up with more socially distancing. And then sometime around December, we, with luck, we should get the first of the vaccines um, and uh, the second uh, shot of that, if you will, or the second shot that gives, we hope to give, get immunization by the end of February. So that's the time course. And what that means is that if you don't open up by May 15th, you'll get more deaths from despair, depression, drug overdose, suicides, um, because of the ec economy closing. If you look at the, the way the uh, London Business School estimates, it estimates that 35% of small businesses, which is what drives growth in jobs and has mm -hmm. at least 20% uh, of all jobs, will never reopen if you stay closed longer than a month and a half. And if you stay closed two and a half months, that is till June, um, it will be that 57% of those never reopen. 
that will create a huge problem. So we got to open and then hope or figure out what to do for September while we have the three or five months to plan for it. Are you, have you heard anything about like a second wave of the virus come, you know, coming back around October, November? Well, we'll come back around. I mean, in other words, it goes south. It looks like this is going south as predicted for summer. It's a reverse, if you will, um, the, uh, you know, reverse travel of, of what we have in, in uh, the winter uh, from Ohio. Many people go down to uh, Florida in the winter. This goes down past Florida to the Southern Hemisphere in uh, the uh, summer. So um, it, it is a, uh, it, it looks like it's doing that. Um, unfortunately, that means it's going to come back. And if you look from the 1918-19 plague, that it was a second time around when they didn't do much preparation for it that really got them in trouble. Yeah. So, Dr. Mike, what do you think doctors should be doing during the coronavirus? Because, you know, they've been impacted a, a lot and, and a lot of their practices have been, you know, hit hard. So it is both doing telemedicine, that is virtual visits, that's how I see patients now, but it is really also getting their patients to understand, and you do this by email and communicating with patients, getting them to understand that if they get healthy, mm-hmm. that is if they get rid of the chronic diseases, mm-hmm. they actually have much lower chance of getting the virus or getting an adverse consequences from it because of in fact, the, the, um, the virus loves to go after comorbidities and creates that inflammatory storm that causes plaques to rupture from arteries. So I think the doc should send out an email, almost an email blast to their patients once mm-hmm. a week, just telling them what's going on, maybe twice a week what's going on with the virus, what they expect, and also starting to encourage them to make appointments to plan to say, how do we get rid of your comorbidities? How do we get them? Because, you know, if you will, 70% of us have the genes for type 2 diabetes that predisposes, but only 10% of us have it. So it is the, the, the genes predisposes, but it is us who, um, if you will, fire the gun to get it. So we can change that. And so I think it's really important for the docs to communicate with the patients, to set up if you will, even virtual visits to get healthy and to work on how do we get you in the middle of this thing to get healthy, to get control of your blood pressure, to monitor it yourself, to understand food and nutrition, to understand stress management and find a technique you can use. Because this is really tough times for all of them. Mm-hmm. It's stressful for anyone. Even those of us working, it's stressful for, obviously, the risk sure. of it especially those of us who are older, but communicating, communicating and being honest and then pushing them to say, okay, plan for coming back. And this is what you got to do for plan for coming back. One is you, you want to be able to understand how to run your business from home, run so you can get some income from while you're working at home. Secondly is how to get rid of the chronic diseases you have, whether it is tighter control of your blood pressure, whatever it is, so that you don't have disease for the long time and so you can improve your immune system. 
That's awesome. And I think those are really warm words from the doctors that are listening out there, right? That, that are concerned maybe, or even just the audience in general, you know, what's going on with coronavirus and now it's dying down and that's great, right? So we can start planning on what to do when we open up again and, and start actually positioning ourselves for that and reaching out to patients. I, a lot of my other guests also said it's a great idea and, and I really encourage that. And then something you pointed out that nobody's ever actually talked about is what do we do when it comes back again? right? Now that you've seen it once, you can then start thinking about what to do the second time around. So that's, that's a really insightful point there. So um, obviously, you're like the, the gold star uh, standard when it comes to, uh, you know, doctors and building up a personal brand. So, uh, you know, you gave a lot of good advice on how the coronavirus is dying down now and, and how we're going to be out of that. So I don't think we can, we need to talk about that a lot. I, I'd love to learn more about what are your thoughts and what's your piece of advice for doctors who want to get to your level i was talking to another doctor who wants to maybe get on you know pbs or something or have like a short appearance etc what are your tips there well my tip is just be as great as you can be at what you do so my kids always say how do i you can't jump over things you gotta really develop the process and be the expert you are Mm -hmm. and make sure you are the expert you are, and then write about, and then, if you will, share that in blogs or in uh, podcasts or whatever, but you, you, you develop it slowly. It doesn't, it isn't, you know, there isn't any magic bullet other than being an expert and sharing that expertise as you go along. So I think it's a very um, just be as good as you can be at what you're doing. Really study it. Really spend time at it. And as you do that, people will recognize that and then come to you for advice. And that's when you can really um, multiply your influence. Those, those, that's fantastic advice. And, um, you know, I always try to tell to a lot of the people I work with also, there's no overnight switch, right? There, there's the famous quote of, uh, you know, it took 10 years to be an overnight success. So right. it sounds like you you made that commitment to yourself early on where you said, okay, I'm going to consistently um, publish my information and just try to be the best. Do you have well, like a, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's really having a purpose in life. You, you, as, you as we talked about before, my mm -hmm. purpose in life was I found a way to change people's behavior and that would make the world healthier and them healthier. Mm -hmm. And so it was just then saying, I'm going to devote myself and spend the time to doing it. And in doing that, in finding your purpose, it may be to wipe out type two diabetes in your patient population, or maybe to get people to do stress management. But as you learn the technique that works for you and your patients, you can spread that. And that it's really having a mission. That's, that, did you always have that mission? Did you find it over time or, you know, what? Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't start. My mission was um, essentially to be as helpful to patients as I could be, you know. To, mm -hmm. And then when you find something that works in a group of patients, you say, I found some, you know, my wife said to me, you know, I was as chair of a department at the University of Chicago. I was working 80 to 90, maybe 100 hours in my regular job. And I upped that to about 110 hours when I started with real age and finding this technique. And my wife said, why are you trying to kill yourself? And so I said, I found something that can change the health of America. 
And I want to share that with America so that they get healthier, so we don't get in the crisis we're now in, if you will, of spending so much money for treating disease rather than preventing it and not and having people live healthier longer. And so I said, I found something. And that's and so that's that was my mission. But it was when you find something, you don't as long as you work hard at what you're doing, accidents happen. Working hard. Okay. And, and, and I agree, right? I, I think that's, I mean, a lot of your advice is really practical and it makes a lot of sense. And, and well, I think that's what you do with your job, right? You're yeah. working your tail off to help people, but you're, you're working your tail off in your job of, of talking to people about marketing and yes. you'll find something or have found something that gives you a purpose to make people more successful. And uh-huh. that's what you do too. And you'll, I love and, that. and I'm passionate about it too. Do you have like a, a pro- I'd love to learn more about like the details. Do you have a process like every Sunday you meditate or you plan out your week on, you know, like for some, some more practical, you know, like stuff my, there. Do you have a coach? My practical thing is pretty easy. Uh, you know, um, it is, I have a set time for those things that help me stay healthy. You know, I exercise, I do cardio on uh, Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. I do weights on Wednesday and either Saturday or Sunday. Um, I do jumping every day. I get 10,000 steps every day. Um, I then, I have a regular schedule of when I read for myself yes. and my patients. Yes, okay, let's go so, to that. I, I, so, that's perfect. Yeah. So, so Tuesday and Thursday nights, I read, you know, I'm, I, I'm a science nerd and I love reading medicine. So I read 50 articles Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights between those. Pick out the stories of the week, which is what my podcast is done on. Um, and I do USA Networks and a few, and then I write the articles based on that. But it's all based on, I have a regular schedule. Um, and yes, that includes um, meditation and deep breathing and practice of it a little bit. But it is, I pull it out whenever I get stressed. So it is, I, I do it routinely, if you will. So I do all of the majors, try and eat as healthy as I can, um, have some regular phone calls. So... Um, what I'm doing now in the in the virus period is I call patients, and uh, if I'm not booked for a patient on the virtual visit, I'll call a bunch of the patients on the list, or I'll email them, or I'll text them and talk to them that way. So, um, but that's just fun for me. That's my fun, if you will. So yes, when you're successful, you have to give up some things. So I was a I was a competitive squash player until Real Age came out, but when Real Age came out, I had to sacrifice something. You can't be competitive if you're not practicing the game uh, two to three hours and staying in shape two to three hours a week. So I gave that up and I promised myself in 2020, this year, um, sometime around now, I would start practicing again and start entering tournaments so that, um, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy. So I turned 75, a new age category in squash. So I get to compete in the really old guys category now. So I promised myself I'd uh, start working at it again this year. That's I haven't gotten wow. that yet, but that's my promise, my long-term promise. The problem is I expected, you know, this book, which I told you about, What to Eat When Cookbook, mm-hmm. was supposed to be out in April. And the next book, which we, which I expect will be my last one, although maybe not, but I expect it to be, which is called The Great Age Reboot which talks about the science of aging and how we're going to have an exponential 
increase in our productive years, mm -hmm. I expected to be done and to be able to start concentrating on playing, I'm using this as playing squash again, um, competitively by about uh, October. And um, the coronavirus has moved that schedule back a year, I think. I, I love, and, and I love, can you show the audience a book, that book again, by the way? Well, I'll, I'll um, link it up. This is actually, What to Eat out. When Cookbook. I don't know if you can see if I'm showing yes, it and, in the right part of just, the camera. Yeah, yeah, we can see it. We can see it very clearly. It, it's a gorgeous book. I mean, the, the, it is, not only is it really good from the standpoint, but you can see National Geographic's did a tremendous job on the pictures. Phenomenal. So it, it is, uh, so um, it is, uh, if you will, um, it takes the essence of nutrition. It tends towards more plant-based, but has uh, poultry as well as uh, salmon, ocean trout, and some other, a few other fish in it. But it is basically how you eat healthy. That is what we know about nutrition. It talks about when you eat. That is why you want to eat in a intermittent fasting way, essentially between 11 and mine is between 11 and seven during the day, so 16 hours of not eating. And it is, um, it also talks a lot about the techniques and the preparation of food. So a piece of salmon, you can make it horribly or you can make it so it tastes great mm -hmm. and so it's great for you. Our principle, the principle in this book um, is really, you should only eat food that loves you back. Food is a relationship like a marriage. You wouldn't marry someone who didn't love you back. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't eat food. You may love French fries, but they're trying to kill you. Don't mm -hmm. eat them. Only eat, and you find great tasting food that you love and that loves your body back. And that's the real principle. I, I love that. That's a great principle. And, and what book number is this, by the way? Because you probably over uh, I I have lost count. It's either 21 or 22. Yes. I think I think it's, uh, well... I'm lucky enough, 10 have been New York Times top 10 and, and four number one. So I've been I, lucky I enough. Knew, yeah, that's right. a fantastic, because I knew you wrote over t at least over 10 books because we had like seven of them at my house or something like that. Yeah, um, you probably have the U series. I've got to get you to get the uh, What to Eat When series. I got it. I, should, I yeah. should send them to you. I'll definitely, yeah, that would be phenomenal. And regardless, I'll get it. I'll, I'll, we ought I'll to, you ought to email me your mom's uh, name and address and I'll send them to her since she's the U fan. Yes, she is. She's a huge fan. Um, so tell me, so for the doctors listening out there that are just trying to ask like one book they want to write, what are some of your tips on writing books? Do you have like every Friday you write for 30 minutes or like what are your thoughts on, on book writing in general? Because you're a great author, obviously. So, 10 so bestsellers. Dr. Oz is the one, I used to do it myself, but then when I started working with Dr. Oz, he taught me we would write, we would get it so that we had a chapter half of a chapter that we would share with each other. Um, every Thursday night, we'd review them on Friday evening. We'd start working at 5 p.m., often go to 11 or midnight. Reviewing, I would review his, he would review mine, be very critical. Mm -hmm. um, we'd correct him, and then we'd start at 7 a.m. Sunday, and we'd go till whatever time we were done, 11 p.m., whatever it was, and grind it out, and grind out wow. the, over the research, and grind it out. So it is a grind, um, but it's a fun grind because you get to read research, you get to stay up to date, 
Um, he corrects me, I correct him, it's all done. And then you try and make each other laugh because the book is no fun if the audience doesn't laugh, right? So the huh. trick with our, all of our books is to make health fun um, with subtleties and puns, et cetera. Um, but that was all, but it is a, it is so um, sometime from Sunday through Thursday, you did the research, you did the writing and you had to grind it out. So yeah, you had to figure out when in the week I don't want to say when any one of your audience can write, but I would write, you know, I would, I would do the research on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. I'd write Thursday night and send him what I had written. And then Friday, um, we critiqued each other's in a small way because we just go through what we had written and why we had written in the research. And then Sunday was the big day. We'd criticize each other, make each other laugh try and find the puns and the, and the fun part in what we had done. I, I love that. And do you have a minimum amount of words that you write or do you have a chapter, I think is what you said earlier? Whatever it takes to get the point across. So if you're writing a chapter on, on the knee, you may have some basic things you write, but then you want to say, what do we know about changing the risk of arthritis? And that may be five points, it may be 20 points, it really depends on where the science takes you. You have Fantastic. to, you know, I'm, I'm, we're science nerds. I'm science driven. That's, I love, I love that, right? Because you, whatever you write about, whatever you do, you have to be passionate about it. And um, I guess my last question is because we want to be respectful of your time for sure today. Um, so once the book is out, right, you had people reach out to you and they, um, you know, I think it was open. We do a lot of our own publicity. So about two months before we're, the release date. Yeah. So this release date was going to be April 14th, about February 14th. We reach out to all the producers we've worked with, all the shows we've worked with. We have our uh, a publicity team hired, small team. I mean, it's not a big amount of money. We mm -hmm. spend a little amount of money to get someone to talk to. Then we get all the people we've worked with. So if I've worked with a company that makes uh, so shoes, I reach out to them and I say, can you help support a satellite media tool, which is a tour that the satellite takes you on. You stay in the same place. The satellite goes to different radio stations or different TV stations. They usually cost fifteen dollars to $30,000 for a morning of satellite. And you plan on that. You also say, how do I get on the Today Show? Or how do I get on uh, Rosemary? Or how do I get on... Um, if you will, what show, what is the, and you do that when you're writing the book. In the last set of edition of the book, you're saying, what's the key TV moment here? What's the visual moment? Why did I write this chapter? What is it that you want to learn from this chapter? So for example, what is it in the chapter on technique of grilling or what is it in blanching that you should know? And one of the key points is, and it's great visual. You got to squeeze the water out when you cook the vegetables in order to get them to be crisp when you take them out of the freezer after you blanch them. So there's some key points and you want to squeeze it. You don't want it to dry. You want to squeeze it out so it's fast and then put it in the refrigerator and cool it fast or freezer and cool it fast. So there's some key points that have visuals with it. So as you're writing it, you say, how do I sell this 
to the TV producer as a great way for their audience to learn something key that I've got in the book. There are always are things that are key that have visuals. And that's what you plan on in the last two editions. We go through about 20 editions of each chapter in writing a book. Ridiculous, right? But in the last two editions, you know, 1819 or 1920, you figure out what are the visuals for TV and plan on those. That is a lot of work. And, and I'm sure, and you've got like a huge, I'm sure you got like a team behind you, et cetera, right? And, and for the doctors out there, maybe the people that are just starting up, I would say if you can't get, you know, pay 15 to $30,000, et cetera, and, and have a PR team, very minimally though, there should be, there's a big hint he dropped. He spends at least two months before it launches building up that network. And he's obviously has 10, 10 uh, bestsellers and a huge network. He builds that up. So, so I would recommend you guys do the same, right? Build up your network and spend that two months promoting. So that's fantastic. And Dr. Mike Risen, I could just show us the book one more time. And uh, you know, where should people find you? Um, the easiest way for the book and is at whenway.com, whenway.com. And that'll get you referred to any of the other books as well. The books are all on Amazon or um, barnesandnoble.com, bn.com, or wherever you get books at. That's where the books are. But whenway.com is Dr. Poupain and my website for the Whenway series of books. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And you're Thank you, Thank Vlad. you guys. Awesome. Thank you.